Welcome to another great message by Pastor Adrian Wright, lead pastor at Anchor Church. We pray this message will encourage, inspire, and transform your life. Our heart is to share the hope of Jesus with our city and nation. I love the fact that at Christmas time, across cultures, across continents, you know, across the face of the earth, it's nearly a universal celebration. This is something that all people celebrate together almost universally. universally there's this global sense of goodwill at Christmas time. Regardless of how differently people celebrate Christmas, the different traditions that are involved and the different things that, you know, that are experienced and, and the different ways that people approach it, it is this, still this universal sense of goodwill that people experience at the time of Christmas. It's almost like God stamped this clue to the meaning of it all uh, into the human calendar. And every year we get to experience that. And uh, yes, as Christians, we know that there are different uh, approaches and different beliefs and different philosophies uh, around what the correct expression, different arguments about how to celebrate Christmas. But if you're new to our church, I'd like to invite you to, uh, to listen to a series that we, that we did last year called Let's Not Be Weird About Christmas, all right? If you're, if you're new to Anchor Church, we believe in being as unweird as possible, all right? Especially around Christmas when people get all kinds of ideas in their heads about what's right and what's not right. Uh, you know, we, you, you can listen to all of that. But the bottom line is that moments like these help us to experience the Spirit of Christ, Help us to experience and reflect on the love of Christ, the generosity of Christ, the goodness of God, with a sense of celebration and a sense of joy. This is what we get to, to reflect on in these times. Let me tell you this. If you don't know how to celebrate, you don't know how to be Christian. If you don't know how to, how to celebrate, how to feast, how to, how to have fun, how to enjoy, how to experience delight, and how to be passionate about moments like these, then, then you don't quite have the Christian life down. It's meant to be something that involves celebration. It's so much closer, celebration and joy and, and, and these kinds of things are so much closer to an actual expression of God's presence and grace than the solemn, sullen, religious reflections of your garden variety theologian or preacher or church. You know, those that are just, I remember speaking, I was actually telling some guys about this the other night. I remember when I was a youth pastor and I was speaking at a school and uh, I went to the school and I was young and uh, I had ripped jeans on. And when I say ripped jeans, I don't mean like what's kind of acceptable today, just kind of the one rip by the knee or whatever. This was like, it looked like I had literally just been mauled by a dog or something. You know, just like holes everywhere in my jeans. I was wearing Chuck Taylors and, uh, and you know, in a t-shirt. And I arrived at the school to preach a message. And I remember walking in and they had paired me with another older duomini uh, that was going to be speaking there that day. And and the principal came out and he greeted the duomini and then he looked at me and he said, are you the other preacher? Like they were dumbfounded, like how is this possible, right? And I remember going up and, and, uh, and speaking and, uh, and, and, you know, when I was done, you know, I, I had 
managed to have the, there was like about 2,000 kids in that school. It was a massive school. We were out on the fields in a stadium and I'd managed to get the kids laughing and I shared this message about how life is like a pair of shoes and, and, uh, and really engaging. I felt God really spoke to people and, you know, it was an amazing moment. And after me, the, 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 the duomini, the preacher after me, he got up and he said, well, we've now had a nice little laugh and we've had a nice little chat, but now it's time to hear what the word of the Lord will say, right? And that may be your experience of church, that church kind of has to be the opposite of fun. Church has to be the opposite of, of enjoyment. It has to be the opposite of celebration. It's like, you know, when we're laughing and when we're having fun and when we're enjoying what we're doing, then it's not really spiritual, but then we've got to get serious now. And now we're going to get very serious about the things of the Lord, and then only God can speak. This is kind of a religious idea that doesn't line up with Scripture. It doesn't line up with the feasts and the celebrations. I was saying to my wife this week, because uh, we had like a little Christmas with our family, and I'll mention that more about that in a moment, but, but as we were having that, you know, there was all the sweet things that were laid out, and kind of we try and eat healthy in a general, in the general sense, and I said to her, you know, in the Old Testament, if we refuse to feast on a day like today, we would actually be disobedient to God. That was a good way for me to eat what I wanted on that night. It's like, we can't disobey God, pass me some of that cake. But feasting was a command in the Old Testament because God wanted us to wholeheartedly experience something bigger than just solemn rituals. And especially when it comes to Christmas, we have to be aware of that. This is much closer to a true expression of God's presence and grace than all of these solemn religious rituals. It's a celebration. Christmas is a celebration. Church is a celebration, a celebration that reflects the life that God has brought to us. And sometimes we must allow our hearts to experience what our minds want to rationalize, want to rationalize, want to, want to diminish, want to minimalize. We must allow ourselves to experience these things. Charles Spurgeon says it this way, he says, can you conceive it? Talking about the love and the grace of God. Can you conceive it? I do not think you can. But if you cannot imagine it, I hope you can realize it. When God's arm is about your neck and his lips are on your cheek, kissing us much, then we understand more than preachers or books can ever tell us of his love. You see, our faith and our belief and what we, what we are doing here is far more than just a religious, religious duty or a religious ritual. No, this is about experiencing the presence of God, having a genuine and authentic relationship with God. And we get, get so caught up in all of the theological arguments, and, and you might be able to tell me about all of the Old Testament rituals and, and all of the examples and all the Hebrew roots, but can you tell me what it feels like? to have the kiss of God on your cheek? Can you tell me what the experience is like to have his arm about your neck? Because that's what it's really about. You don't really know anything about God. No matter how much theory and philosophy and theology you have down, you don't really know anything about him until you've experienced that embrace, those kisses, that grace, that love. And so Christmas is about that experience. It's about knowing the embrace of God, His love for us. Grace 
is something more than just something that says, okay, you're forgiven for your past. No, it's a celebration that we're a part of every day of our lives. I love how Robert Capon says it. He says, grace is the celebration of life. Relentlessly hounding all the non-celebrants in the world. It is a floating cosmic bash, shouting its way through the streets of the universe, flinging the sweetness of its cassations to every window, pounding at every door in a hilarity beyond all liking and happening. Until the prodigals come out at last and dance, and the elder brothers finally take their fingers out of their ears. See, the grace of God is not just some doctrine. It's a movement. It's a, it's a celebration. It's the Spirit of God present in this earth. It's a celebration that the church is a part of. And for all those that refuse to dance and refuse to be a part of the party, it literally bangs on the door. The celebration moves through the streets to the point where eventually people realize, I can no longer stand aside and be separated from this great celebration. I need to go out and dance, and I need to take my fingers out of my ears and go and enjoy the music. That's what the grace of God is in this world. This past week, as I mentioned, we celebrated an early Christmas as a, as a family uh, due to the fact that all of our siblings and my mom, we're all going to be kind of celebrating Christmas in di different parts of the country, uh, obviously, depending on what the president's address is going to say tonight. But we will all be at different places for Christmas. And so we thought, let's have an early Christmas. And so my boys were so excited. They helped us. We set up a tree and we had a massive pile of gifts from all of the family members under the tree. And uh, we, we even, you know, my boys hung some mistletoe above the door, which was literally just a branch they got off the tree outside. Um, and, and, you know, we had Christmas carols going and we set up the house with lights and all, just all kinds of fun. And, uh, and we were celebrating this and everybody brought cakes and desserts and sweet things to eat. And it was just us as a family together celebrating. And my boys had hoped for certain gifts. You know, if you've got kids, you know, they start telling you like around April, uh, what they want for Christmas, you know, if, whether it's the birthday or Christmas. And if it's something big as a parent, you're like, I'm not going to get you that, but maybe for Christmas, right? Any parents here that have made those promises? The problem is Christmas does come around eventually. And then you have to decide, like my boys were hoping, if we would be faithful parents, you know, mimicking God, our, our faithful heavenly father, will we be faithful and gracious? You know, my boys had made all kinds of requests during the year. And there were things that they were hoping for. I kind of had to draw the line at like a live hedgehog. I was like, no, you know, you know, uh, yeah, it was, my, my boy stood in front of a cage with a hedgehog crying, please, dad, can I have it for Christmas? I'm like, the problem is it doesn't go away after Christmas. You got to still kind of look after it, you know? And so, and so, you know, they were hoping that if their dad was gracious enough and faithful enough that they would get what they had hoped for. Or if that failed, they just ask their grand because then they get whatever they want. Um, but obviously, even the Bible says that we as earthly, imperfect, sinful people, as parents, we know how to give good gifts to our kids. And so if, if we know how to give good gifts, then, then our you know, heavenly Father, we can trust Him for those things as well. And so one by one, I watched my boys open up their gifts. And kind of as they opened up, as they tore the paper open, 
And you know how kids, they don't, they don't open it nice and neatly. I think my wife, she's a little different. When she was a kid, I think she took forever to kind of undo every little thing. And she still does it that way. Eventually, I just rip it because I can't handle the, you know, the anticipation. But, but my boys, they just rip the paper open. And the moment they realized that the thing they were hoping for, that the thing that they were waiting for is actually the thing they have now received, you can see their eyes light up and, and that excitement. And what happened is they would just rip the rest of the paper and stand up holding the gift above their heads triumphantly and shouting at the top of their lungs. This happened over and over and over again. I felt like I needed to you know, submit an official apology to all of my neighbors around me for the noise that was created. And each time I wanted to quieten them down, each time I wanted to get them to lower the volume, which I feel like is what I do for most moments in my life. Just talk softer, just lower the volume. But as I wanted to do that, I felt the Holy Spirit speaking to me saying, they are much closer to the spirit of Christmas. They are much nearer to what the expression is when you begin to experience the kingdom of God. That's actually the, the spirit of Christmas. That joy, that elation, that, that anticipation, that reception. Receiving what was hoped for, what was longed for, what was prayed for, what has been waited for, what has been anticipated, what has been promised. That is the spirit of Christmas. And the way that we receive that is not meant to be in somber theology. It's not meant to be in, in our you know, reserved adult perceptions or, or ways of doing things. It's meant to be a celebration. In Matthew, Jesus said in Matthew 18 verse 3, Truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of God. In other words, receiving the gift of God's Son and the gift of salvation and the gift of life actually looks like becoming childlike in your faith. Not childish, that's a difference. Not childish in your faith, but childlike. Genuine, wholehearted joy over what God has given us. Wholehearted trust, genuine emotions. You know, this is not just a spiritual practice that is separated from our soul which includes your, your will and your mind and your emotions. The rabbinical summation of the law of God said that you would love the, law, love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind and every bit of your strength, every fiber of your being is swept up in the joy of what God has done. That's what a response to God's grace really looks like. That's what it inspires a genuine, if I can call it this, all-outness. All out. We're all out in response. Carl Barth, who I studied a lot during my university studies, absolutely loved his sayings and his writings as a theologian. He said this. He said, laughter is the closest thing to the grace of God. How beautiful is that? You know, we, make, we, we can over-theorize this thing so much. But have you ever just sat with some friends and just laughed, genuinely laughed? You know that feeling like in that moment when you're laughing, it doesn't matter what's going on in your life. 
It doesn't matter how many things you faced this last week. It doesn't matter what is coming up in the week ahead. It doesn't matter the battles you fought. In that moment, you're just swept up in a sense of joy. And it's almost like everything else fades away for that time while you're laughing. That's the closest thing that we have as a human experience to the grace of God, what it feels like to step into His grace. Sometimes I think we get so busy dissecting the various interpretations of Scripture that we forget to allow the fire of Scripture to burn in our hearts. Something that we actually experience. In Psalm 51 verse 12, David realizes that he he has gotten off track with his experience, with his connection to the joy that comes with salvation. And he says, restore to me the joy of your salvation, O God, and uphold me with a willing spirit. Restore to me the joy. Restore to me the gratitude, the thankfulness, the perspective that I need. Come on, how many of us need that this morning? I know that I often do. I need that perspective again. When last did you experience true joy in your life? That kind of unrestrained joy that my kids displayed at Christmas time. When last did you just feel that elation specifically over what God has done and is doing in your life? When I was a kid growing up in my grandfather's church in the 1980s, I kind of, I don't know why, but all of those old songs imprinted on my mind. I think it's because of how much we sang them. But, you know, those, all those old gospel hymns were sung, and, and I remember all of them. And, and one of them I remember specifically the first time I heard it. It's a song that we sang that said, In the presence of the Lord, there is peace. In the presence of the Lord, there is joy. In the presence of the Lord, there is healing. All right? Lord, I stand in your presence with my life. Lord, I stand in my presence, in your presence with my life. How many of you have heard that song? Like three of you, right? We're going to bring those oldies back. Lord, I stand in your presence with my life. And I remember hearing that song. The thing is, though, is that when I heard it, I was only five or six years old the first time I heard it. And I only really learned to speak English when I started going to school. And so my, my knowledge of homophones at that point was limited. And when they sang about the presence of the Lord, I heard the presence of the Lord, right? So in the presence, and all I could imagine in my mind, literally this is the image that imprinted on my brain. And to this day when I hear that song, that's the image that I see. I imagined God giving us presence and opening it up and finding that in the presence, okay, there's joy. Now I open up another one, un- unwrap it, open it up like my kids at Christmas. Oh, there's peace. You know, unwrap the next one. Oh, there's healing. That's a good one to get for Christmas, right? And then I was like, in my mind, Lord, I stand in your presence with my life. That's what I, that's what I thought of when I heard this song. It's only later that I learned that we were referring to God's presence. But you know, I wasn't completely wrong. Because his presence is his present. It's what he gives us. It's his grace. It's his goodness that he gives us. This is the gift of Christmas. That God is present. He is. It's his presence that we have. In his presence we stand. 
And this gift of Christmas inspires every other gift that we could give or could receive. It, it inspires gratitude. The Bible's very clear about that. When we receive from God, it causes us to become generous. We want to give to others. When I asked before we opened the gifts, I asked my boys the questions, why do we give each other gifts? And my boy, Leo, you know, the Holy Spirit came upon him in that moment. The anointing came down from heaven. And he said, because God has given us the gift of life. In that moment, he became my favorite son. <laughs> you know that feeling. But God has given us the gift of life. So we give gifts to one another. And above every other gift that we can receive, the greatest gift God has given us is the gift of his presence the gift of Jesus. Psalm 16 verse 11 says, in your presence, Lord, there is fullness of joy. The Bible tells us that, that where God is, where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom, there is liberty. Exodus 33 verse 14, God said, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. So there's rest and peace. Romans 15 verse 13 says, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. God fills us with his joy. He fills us with his peace so that we can have hope as we live in this life. This is revolutionary. Come on, we're living in a world that is overcome by negativity a world that is focused almost exclusively on what is wrong. Have you noticed that? In fact, we are neurologically wired this way. This is a part of just how our brains work. And some say that it's actually a survival instinct, that we know how to scan the horizon for danger and for things that might come against us. We wanna be prepared, we wanna be ready, and so we focus on these things. I heard a pastor, John Mark Comer, speak on this recently, speaking on the subject of joy. And he spoke about how even in the art world, there is a maxim that says, light writes white. Light writes white. Meaning that if you are an artist or a poet or a writer, and your life is light, in other words, everything is well with you, everything is going well in your life, then it writes white. In other words, you'll be staring at a blank page. You won't be able to write. You won't be able to sketch. You won't be able to draw. You won't be able to write poetry because according to this maxim, you need to be suffering some pain or some turmoil or some heartache to be able to pr produce good art. But there's an American uh, poet, Christian Wyman, who writes a counter-argument to this. And he says that it's far more a reflection on artists than it is on art. It's far easier to focus on what's wrong and to give expression to what we feel as a result of what's wrong than it is to focus on what's right, on what's positive, on what's good. So that's just true for all of us. It's so much easier for us to focus on the negative, to be sad rather than glad. When last did you wake up in the morning and feel grateful, feel inspired, feel ready for the week? For some of us, it's been months or even years since that happened. We go from waking up in the morning and saying, good morning, God, to waking up and saying, oh, God, it's morning. You know, just that, 
negativity that overwhelms us and our brains are hardwired for it. In fact, they say it takes three seconds for a negative experience to imprint on your brain. Just three seconds. But 14 seconds for a positive one to have the same effect. And so John Marcoma was talking about his family and how when they go out and they're, they're at the beach or they're experiencing a great family moment or they're having a great dinner that they actually practice pausing for 14 seconds. Just take it in. Let this gratitude, let this moment, let this positivity imprint on your brain. In general, though, our brains are bent to focus on the negative. Add to that that we live in a world that is under assault by the world, the flesh, and the devil. Add to that a 24-7 digital news cycle that is, is specifically built to inspire fear, to keep you connected and to sell advertising. Add to that everything 2020 that has magnified a negative view in our world and of our world. Add to that the holiday season that we're in right now, which even though it is a time supposed to be of, of joy and of family, for many people it's a mixed bag because it brings into stark contrast the loneliness that some people experience or the relational breakdown that they've had. And so what is supposed to be a joyful time ends up being a difficult time for many people. And it leaves, with, it, it leaves a lot of us feeling little to no joy whatsoever during this time, which is meant to be a joyful time. And this is characteristic of our world. It's draining. It robs us of our strength. It keeps us from standing in the presence of God, from fixing our eyes on Jesus, for hoping for the best that is yet to come. It keeps us from trusting in His grace. Christmas, however, is the proclamation that even though this was and is the state of humanity, the state of our world, the negative state of the world that we live in, Christmas is the proclamation that even when we couldn't get to God, even when we couldn't overcome the negativity, even though we cannot stop feeling overwhelmed in our own strength, that God came to us. He came to us. He didn't sit off. He didn't remain distant. He didn't remain disconnected and dormant. He's not apathetic to what's happening in your life, to what you're feeling. No, God, when He saw what was happening, when He heard our cry, He came down to be with us. This is unlike anything that is found in any other philosophy or theology or religious thought or story or anything out there. Nothing compares to the God who didn't wait for people to come to Him. The God who didn't wait for people to become positive first. For most religions, it's all just about being positive. And it's a fake kind of positivity. It's where you cannot even acknowledge what's happening in your life. You have to pretend like it's all okay. God didn't wait for us to figure it all out, to become positive, to become you know, stronger, to, to, you know. The idea that God helps those who help themselves is rubbish. It's unbiblical. No, God helps those who could not help themselves. And so he came to us. He is present and we are in his presence. 
This is the story. This is the proclamation of Christmas, that God came to us. He was born into this world. In Romans 5 verse 8, it says, But God shows His love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's the love of God. In John 3.16, we all know God so loved the world that He gave, there's the gift, His only Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. God's presence is His present to us. And now in Him, we can have fullness of joy. We can have that confidence. We can have that strength. We can have that peace. We can live that abundant life. His presence also allows us to be present. You know when you're not present is when you're distracted. When you're thinking about every other thing going on in your life, and even when you're sitting across from people, even if you're sitting in church, or even when you're, when you're celebrating Christmas, you're filled with, with thoughts of doubt and fear about the future. Or things, the effects of what you've been through. But when we experience God's presence, we're able to be present in that moment and experience the joy of a child. Jesus said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. That's what it should really feel like. The more you grow in Jesus, the lighter your life should feel, not heavier. The idea here is not that we escape from the world. It's not escapism. It's not that we avoid pain or hardship or difficulty. It's not that we have to pretend like there are no such things, but that we experience His joy in the midst of what we're going through. This is what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 6. He says, sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. The Christian thought that you have to, that you have to never experience any other emotion that you can't be joyful in the midst of those emotions is, again, an unbiblical one. We're not denying the sorrow that we experience in this world. We're just saying that there is a greater reality. We're just saying that the sorrow that we experience is not the sum total of our reality. It's not the whole story. Yes, there is sorrow. Yes, there is hardship. Yes, there is stress. Yes, there is pain. But the greater story is that there is joy in the midst, that there is peace, that there is strength, that God is present, that He is my refuge and my strength, my God in whom I trust. Of whom shall I be afraid? If God is for me, who can be against me? For greater is He that is in me and He that is in this world. That's the full story. That's the whole picture. Bono once said this, and I love this. He said, joy is an act of defiance. It's a revolutionary act of defiance. To rejoice in a year like 2020, in a world that is as negative as ours, is a guerrilla insurgency against the assault of the flesh and the world and the devil and everything that is, is aimed at bringing your soul low. To have joy in the midst of your tribulation, in the midst of your pain, in the midst of your difficulty, is an act 
of supernatural defiance that says, I trust in a God that is greater than what I'm going through right now. That's the power of joy. That's the power of the joy of the Lord that is our strength. That's why we're such a different people. That's why we're an, a, a people that cannot be conquered, that are indomitable in our spirit and in our walk because we draw our strength from somewhere other than the circumstances of this world. Joy is a sign that you are living in another kingdom. That even though you are in this world, you are not of this world. That you find your significance and your worth and your peace and your wholeness somewhere else. The Bible says our real life is in heaven, seated at the right hand of the Father with Christ. We are co-heirs to the throne. That's, that's your real life. That's where we truly live. And so joy is a sign that you're living in another kingdom, that you have another foundation, a sign that you know the victory that you have in Christ. And I cannot tell you how true this is. I've experienced in my own life in those same moments, like Paul says, even though we are cast down, we cannot be destroyed because we already know that we have the victory. That's what pulls us through. This doesn't mean that we don't grieve or feel. It just means that we have a greater reality. And this is exactly what Christmas is about. It's what Jesus has made available to us, this joy, this strength, this peace. Why? Because He is present. Because He is with us. That's why. I want to finish this morning by just going to Luke 2. Just a Christmas story about the birth of Jesus. Luke 2 verse 7, I'm going to read from there. It says, Mary gave birth to her firstborn and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger. This is Jesus. Because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them. And the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth. Peace among those with whom His favor rests. The proclamation that the gift that everybody had been waiting for, that everybody had pre been praying for and longing for, the salvation, the hope, the peace, the joy, it had been revealed. It's there. It's here. It's with us. It's on earth. Out on a hill near Bethlehem, you've got these shepherd boys. And, and even to this day in the Middle East, these boys are normally 10, 11, or 12 years old that look after the sheep. And they say that 
They were the shepherds, most scholars believe, that were actually raising the flocks that would eventually become the Passover lambs. And so as they're taking care of the lambs that prophesy the coming of the Lamb of God, the Savior, the Messiah, in that moment they received the declaration, the true Lamb, the one that had been promised. Because our Father is faithful, He has arrived. He has come. And so... The angel appears to them and says, the most common command in all of Scripture, do not be afraid. Why in a world like ours can we not be afraid? Because we're in His presence. Because Jesus has arrived. The angel says, I bring you good news of great joy. Not average joy, not just another thing that took place, but great joy that will be for all people. The God that you couldn't connect with, the God that you felt would always be distant, the God that you felt too unworthy to speak to, He has made a way. He has brought His grace to you. For unto you is born this day a Savior, Christ the Lord. And all of a sudden, there's, there's that celebration. The heavens are filled with the sound of music, with the sound of singing as, as all these angels appear and begin singing God's praises. And they say amongst their praises, they say peace to all among whom God's favor rests. On whose favor does God's, does, does God's favor rest? Who does it rest upon? It rests on us. Why? Because of Christ. If we're in Christ, His favor rests upon us. So God has brought you peace in the midst of, of this world. In Luke 2 verse 20, it tells us that the shepherds returned. This is their response. Glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. When I read that, knowing that these were young boys, I imagined my own boys, almost that same age, opening that gift and just completely freaking out and lifting it up above their heads and screaming with joy because the promise has been fulfilled. That's how we approach Christmas. That promise has been fulfilled. You this morning are in His presence. You're not trying to get into His presence. If your faith is in Jesus, the Bible says that God has anchored us beyond the veil in the presence of God. You are in His presence. You, you live in His presence. You're not working to get to God. It's where you live. It's who you are. And in His presence, there is peace. In His presence, there is joy. In His presence, there is healing. Lord, we stand in Your presence with our lives. Amen? Why don't you stand with me this morning?